Hello and welcome to another episode of At Any Rate. I'm your host Natasha Kanova and I head JP Morgan Global Commodities Research. Today we would like to discuss the 2024 outlook on commodities. I'm joined by Shika Chuturvedi, who heads our global guest research, Greg Shear, head of precious and industrial metals research, and Tracy Allen, who heads our agricultural research. Um, welcome everybody. Uh, after two consecutive years of double-digit returns in 2021 and in 2022, the BCOM index is on pace to deliver a 10% contraction in 2023. Uh, as we have shown repeatedly, the maximum impact on returns of commodities as a broad asset class, it's whether it's a BCOM or a GSCI, occurs usually in early or late stages of the business cycle or in episodes of rising inflation. Uh, first, as a highly cyclical asset class, commodities exhibit uh, reasonably consistent early and late cycle price behavior, rising 20% on average over the first and the last quintiles of recovery, the, st the strongest segments for price appreciation by far. Um, we believe the fundamental explanation for this performance is likely that above trend uh, economic growth during the post-recessionary recovery and near the end of the expansion outpaces the growth in supply that the road spare capacity, drawing inventories and boosting prices. Similarly, commodity returns, energy in particular, uh, strongly positively correlated with US CPI inflation, making the asset class one of the best preferred options for hedging inflation. Since the start of the century, uh, the BCOM Commodities Index performed the best, uh, returning about 1.4% months over months. On average, when US headline CPI inflation was above 2%, and rising with directionality of the CPI more critical than level. So for example, in cases when uh, US CPI was above 2% but falling, the BCOM index has lost almost 2% of its value months over months on average. So accordingly, the reopening of the global economy and COVID stimulus drove almost 30% return on broad commodities markets in 2021. Uh, in 2022, it was the Russian invasion of Ukraine and surging inflation that propelled commodity returns 14% uh, higher. In 2023, with the global expansion maturing, uh, but not yet in the last innings and uh, amid sliding inflation, there was no single macro narrative to drive the broad commodities returns. Instead, the view became more sector-specific and tactical. Um, as you remember, our outlook for 2023, we liked energy, but we believed the returns would be driven by oil and not U.S. natural gas, where we projected a 40% decline by year in 2023, uh, a call by Shika that has fully realized. Uh, in oil, being tactical has paid off, uh, buying at the lows in July, as we recommended in our FOMO note, and exiting at the highs in September. Our structural bullish call on gold uh, that Greg made last year. Uh, so last November, as you remember, we upgraded precious metals to a buy with an expected 8% return for the BCOM precious metals index through 2023. He has also worked out uh, very, very nicely considering where the gold is trading today. Uh, so precious metals are the only sector with a positive performance this year, returning almost exactly what Greg predicted last year. So 9% up since our upgrade. Uh, we maintained a neutral outlook on industrial metals and turned less constructive on agricultural commodities. Uh, both calls also turned out to be correct. So where do we stand today? Um, so in 2024... Um, we expect more of the same, unfortunately. Uh, so from the perspective of the business cycle progression, the latest data pointing uh, to continued resilience and limited financial market stress, uh, although growth is growth, economic growth globally is poised to slow, 
in 2024 to below potential, according to our economists. The bottom-up forecasts uh, by our uh, individual countries' economists see the global economy avoiding recession over 2024 and 2025, all hallmarks of a mid-cycle when commodities returns tend to lose strong early cycle momentum. So this is not going to be a driver in 2024. Importantly, a global economy gliding toward a soft landing and one that is heading down the road to recession, uh, observationary equivalent, uh, and until a potential break arrives, making it very hard to make an overarching bullish or bearish macro call on commodities uh, overall. Similarly, commodities are unlikely to benefit from inflation next year. Global core inflation is down from 5.9% in 2022 to 4.1% on average in 2023, and more disinflation is in store next year. Although the normalization in goods and labor markets is now well advanced, uh, its fully disinflationary effect is still playing out, and our economists believe that core inflation should fall further to, to below 3% in 2024. So without one of those strong cross-complex drivers emerging from growth or inflation, Investors need to continue to be tactical in commodities in 2024. Um, so now moving into separate asset classes. So, Greg, across commodities for a second consecutive year, the only structural bullish call that we hold is on gold and silver. So the, the call was uh, um, right on target at the end of last year when you upgraded gold to a buy. Um, so you you held for two years a bearish call, yes, on gold since July 2020. So what is the rationale between behind your view for 2024? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Natasha. Uh, the, the, the rationale, I mean, essentially boils down to our, our view from our economists that uh, we're going to get delivered 100 basis points of Fed cuts in the second half of, of 24. So as U.S. growth slows down to about 0.5 uh, percent quarter over quarter SAR, uh, our U.S. Economist, economics team basically has the Fed beginning to cut in 3Q24 to avoid a recession. And in our view, that kind of brings a transition from gold, which has stayed resilient um, over these final stages of this head Fed hiking cycle. Um, that's been, you know, on the back of central bank demand, uh, uh, in particular, really kind of holding a floor in here. Um, it's going to transition from that resilience, in our view, to a resurgence. And that's because we essentially see uh, on the back of that Fed cutting cycle, U.S. 10-year real yields moving down towards around one and a half by the end of 24. Um, and we also have additional Fed cuts, about 100 basis points in the first half of 25. And over this Fed cutting cycle, even in a soft landing scenario, we think that falling U.S. real yields become the mono driver for both gold and silver higher. Um, when we look historically over previous Fed cutting cycles, the dollar has relatively dis uh, differenti uh, differentiated paths, um, but gold uh, over the last three has been quite consistently bullish. Uh, we also think that when you transition to that cutting cycle, you actually unlock a bit of upside convexity in gold prices. So when the Fed moves into a cutting cycle, real yields are falling. Um, what we see is that the inverse relationship between gold and real yields strengthens once again. Uh, we've seen that over the last couple of cycles, and we anticipate that to, to come about again. Um, and so when this really begins to kick off, we 
we forecasted an upside target for gold of around two thousand three hundred uh, dollars per ounce, and on the silver side, uh, prices uh, jumping up towards above thirty dollars per ounce. Um, we are trading, you know, we're we're trading a bit ahead of it right now. Uh, we're trading at around twenty forty uh, as we record this. Uh, we do think that. That does look a little bit rich in the very near term, given that we don't have this cutting cycle commencing till the second half of 24. Um, but we do think that the big move is likely to happen in a breakout rally above the 2070 top uh, over the course around mid-year 2024. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Greg. Um, so, Shika, moving to energy, um, a great call last year. So you predicted Henry Hub prices will collapse 40 percent by the end of 2023. They are down 39 percent, but we have uh, we have another month to go. Um, so for 2024, we remain tactically as constructive on energy, but believe that unlike this year, when energy returns were you know, clearly weighted down by 40 percent drop in uh, in U.S. natural gas Prices performance in 24 will be driven by a reversal in natural gas losses. So your price forecast for this year, I'm sorry, for next year, yes, calls for a 44% increase in Henry Hub prices by the end of next year from the current spot prices. Um, So why? And um, if you can give us your view on global prices as well. Thanks, Natasha. So yes, it, it is kind of like a reverse of what we saw this past year. Um, I would say that one of the most important things when we're looking at the U.S. natural gas market, particularly right now, is going to be winter weather. So, you know, that's going to be very important for price formation in 2024. But when we look at things from a fundamental perspective, there really are two stories that emerge for natural gas prices in the U.S. um, in the upcoming year. And the first one is one that feels very bearish in the first half of the year. Um, And this is why I think it's important. I think the word tactical is very important to stress here for natural gas because I think we have a situation right now where we have warm winter weather that's been coming in and it's been eroding price premium uh, for quite a bit. And we also have very strong production prints that are out there that are surpassing 104, 105 BCF a day. And so ultimately, what I would say is that um, as we get through this sort of winter period, you know, the market is going to be awaiting for some growth in demand and organic growth in demand. And that's likely to come from the LNG export story, but that doesn't really start until the 3Q, 4Q time period. So when we look at things for the U.S. natural gas market, it feels as if things are going to price somewhere closer to around $3 per MMB2, which is still higher than the forward curve right now um, in the first half of the year under normal weather uh, situation. But we expect for 4Q24 prices to get as high as $4 per MMBTU. And that's really predicated on this idea of the LNG export stories starting up. And it's not so much about the lower 48 and the fact that you know we're not gonna have enough production to meet all sorts of demand that's domestically there. It's actually has to do with this concentrated region in the Southeast where things are gonna start to tighten up very significantly near Henry Hub, which is the physical price that ties to NYMEX. So, We're going to have to watch that very closely, but it definitely lends to support for that. Um, And at the same token, just to kind of talk about the global natural gas market for a second, um, the sort of price weakness that the U.S. is experiencing right now will likely transfer that price weakness over to the global natural gas market going into 24 and as we move into 25. So we are continuing to expect uh, far more 
bearish pricing that we've seen uh, for the European natural gas market. Our Cal 24 price call continues to be at around 38 euros per megawatt hour for, you know, for the average for the year. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is really predicated on the idea that we're going to have all this sort of supply from the U.S. that's coming in to fill the void that Russia's supply and, uh, and lack of supply uh, pipeline flows to Europe has created. And ultimately, I think one thing that is very important is to watch for increased volatility across the board for each of these uh, commodities in the U.S. And, the U and in Europe as well, because there's a lot of moving parts that are happening right now. And if they don't line up, um, we can find that, you know, things can go wildly out of whack in a second. So I, I, was, I would caution that lots of volatility will be around. Mm -hmm. um, and Natasha, I'm I'm obviously constructive and tactically constructive, but I think you are also from the oil space. So can you um, talk about that for a little bit? Uh, yes, thank you, Shika. So again, you're absolutely correct the way you pointed out, and the gas, the tactical is the word to pay attention to. It's very similar. Uh, it's it's hard to be uh, structurally constructive on oil for 2024 and 2025. Um, so it, you have to be tactical. I, I actually checked November 29th, 2022. Uh, Brent was trading at $83 and today we're trading at the $82.92. So pretty much if you look, the oil didn't do much, but at the same time, the Brent price ranged from 72 lows. Yes, at the end of June to 98 highs in, in September. So uh, being overall structurally bullish wouldn't have worked this year, but being tactically has paid off. Um, so Fundamentally, we believe that solid demand growth should push prices higher of the current spot levels with scary adding further returns. Uh, so we see Brent oil trading in an 80 to 90 uh, dollars range in 2024 with prices peaking in late uh, third quarter of 2024. It's, it's about our forecast is about $10 above the spot price and the forward curve. Um, so this, the story is very similar to what we observed this year. So this year, non-OPEC supply was more than sufficient to fully cover global oil demand, leaving, leaving OPEC alliance having to cut production to balance the markets. In 2024, we expect more of the same. Um, the world's oil demand is expected to increase by a solid 1.6 million barrels per day in 2024, underpinned by uh, robust emerging markets, resilient U.S. and uh, stable but weak European growth. Uh, so we believe that two-thirds of this demand gain will likely come from the overall economic expansion, uh, while one-third of the growth will likely still be driven by continued normalization of mobility fuel demand, so that's, you know, particularly jet fuel demand. Um, Non-OPEC producers should again drive overall growth in supply, so we believe that non-OPEC supply will be growing at about 1.7 million barrels per day, more than enough to, uh, to match growth in demand. So again, to keep the oil markets balanced, the, the OPEC plus alliance would likely need to continue to constrain production. Um, so oil balances should loosen further in 2025. Uh, so we have demand growing at about 1 million barrels per day. So we, we're done with, uh, uh, with you know, post-pandemic demand recovery. All of that will be just economically, economic growth driven. Uh, but we, in 2025, we already see the first signs of decarbonization policies feeding through the data. So all of this throws a sharp focus on OPEC plus strategy, uh, exit strategy, so for this particular meeting, we expect Saudi Arabia and Russia to extend their voluntary production and export cuts through the first quarter. Uh, but our view on demand in 2024 suggests that as long as the broader OPEC plus maintains the 2 million barrels per day cut in quarters that was agreed in November 2022, 
and the additional 1.7 million barrels per, uh, per, uh, per day of curbs from some members pledged in April 2023. So we believe that Saudi and Russia will be able to unwind some of their 1.3 million barrels per day voluntary reduction starting from uh, pretty much April 1st, 2024. So the numbers are that if we assume that Saudi Arabia pumps an additional 250 KBD and Russia increases exports by about 150 KBD, global oil inventories will likely stay flat in 2024 and build almost 1.2 million barrels per day in 2025. So in this scenario, which is our baseline scenario, Brent oil price should average $83 in 2024 and about $75 in 2025. But again, the range for next year, it's very wide, yes, from $80 to, to $90. Um, so Tracy, looking into 2024, um, so agricultural commodity price risks is skewed to the upside of the current spot levels. Uh, particularly through the first half of 24. Um, so can you please walk us through exactly what should we be paying attention in the sector? Thanks, Natasha. Uh, the narrative of the you know, scope for an establishment of risk premiums across agricultural markets is very much sustained as we look through 2024, uh, thinking here particularly weather-related risk premiums, geopolitical risk premiums. Um, and as you point out, for the majority of the commodities, Looking into next year, um, you know, traded plays look to be very much of a tactical nature. Food security is still very much in the headlines, as we know, and, and we have continued to see the FAO food price index plateau over the last few months. And um, I think it's really important to note that whilst that's that's happening, in the background, we have had a build in in certainly US-based inventories um, of, of grains over the last 12 months. Looking into 2024, as you note, um, I, I certainly do see scope for uh, risk premiums to be re-established across the complex in the first half of the year. And that's largely because we still have these underlying issues around South American weather um, being adverse as a result of the, the strong El Nino that's still in play here. Still a lot of geopolitic, geopolitics um, underway um, that's constraining a, a material improvement in supply across uh, the Black Sea. We have China having really built its uh, or, or uh, rebuilt its agri-import demand, um, not just across soybeans that we've seen over the last couple of years, but now the soft commodity import demand is starting to surge there as well. And on balance, when I look into the 24-25 season balances across the agri-commodities under my coverage, um, at the world level, the inventory situation is is still deteriorating year on year. Um, we have certainly seen, as I mentioned, for the, the grain market, certainly for corn and wheat, we have started to see US inventories build, and that's been putting pressure on prices over much of the last 12 months. So looking forward, um, I think we have to pay very close attention to the way that uh, weather, particularly in, in Brazil, plays out. Um, certainly with dry conditions in the north and, and very wet conditions in the south, um, having uh, fairly potentially seismic implications for, for yields, not only of soybeans, but also particularly for, for the Safrinia corn crops, which may experience some delays in plantings through that first quarter of, of 2024. But they're also having implications for delays um, to to export um, capacity and and just generally speaking, tightening the trade flows there for the likes of soybean, corn exports, and also sugar exports that are underway at the moment. So on balance, 
um, the standout markets for agricultural commodities that I think we really need to watch out for, in my mind, are still sugar, looking into the longer dates of the curve where we have a bullish view that's sustained there, um, and certainly wheat, um, very tight global trade flows. Looking into the risk profiles of soybeans and corn, certainly through the first half of the year, um, you know, is something that we should follow very, very closely, particularly around that Brazilian weather um, before certainly the the planting season for the US, uh, where we're looking for a big swing in, in acreage planted towards the soybean market, Natasha. Mm -hmm. uh, Tracy, thank you so much. Uh, so, Greg, um, you have maintained a neutral view on industrial metals for two years now, and you believe that uh, they will remain stuck in neutral until 2025. So when, when do you foresee an uptick in the prices and uh, the index appreciating? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, what the, the neutral call really is that base metals, I think, are stuck in something that's akin to a business cycle purgatory at the moment. Um, you know, ex-Chinese demand very weak. That's capping rallies. Uh, but prices have not fallen to a place that are, you know, screaming that they're recessionary cheap because we obviously haven't had a recession yet, even though manufacturing uh, ex-China has been, been almost recessionary. Um, and so what has really kept them from capitulating is relatively strong Chinese demand that is coming in opportunistically buying on price dips, whether that's importing Ali surplus from the rest of the world or uh, you know continuing to import when the copper arb is open, really supporting that downside. Now, to break out of this range, either on the downside I think we need a recession that would kind of spark something to really push deeper into the cost curves um, and to really move on the upside, absent significant cost-related supply closures, which we're close to in some metals, but that process is a long and messy process. We really just need ex-Chinese demand to begin to recover. But for that, we begin. We need to see lower interest rates, kind of rebounds in construction and manufacturing. Um, and in our view, that's not something that's really coming until the fourth quarter of, of 24 and particularly over 2025. Um, so we still think you're kind of in this waiting game. Risks are skewed towards the downside as we see U.S growth slowing in the middle of the year. Um, but the upside really begins to open up when ex-Chinese consumers come back into the market, their order books are filling up, they begin to restock. And, and that really kind of once again stresses balances and inventory levels that are not uh, sitting on a, a lot of cushion, even though we've had quite weak demand. Uh, and that we think really begins to kick off in the fourth quarter of this of next year and into 2025. And then we do think the recovery will be quite sharp, but it's still a waiting game for that to come. We have copper prices eventually getting back up towards an average of $10,000 per ton in 2025. And aluminum, for instance, trading up towards $2,600 per ton. Uh, thank you, Greg. Um, Shika, Tracy, Greg, thank you all for joining me today and thank you for a great year. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to the Commodities Edition at JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. And to our clients, thank you for your support this year. We look forward to continue the conversation. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023, JP Morgan Chase & Company. All rights reserved. This episode was recorded on November 29th, 2023.